This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. On a crisp spring morning, Kim Brooks made a split-second decision to leave her four-year-old son in the car while she ran into a suburban Target store. She was gone for only a few minutes, and when she came back, he was still happily absorbed in a game. What Brooks didn't know was that a stranger had filmed her and would go on to send the video to the police. The fallout from this single moment would spur Brooks to investigate America's culture of fear and how it has infected parenthood. She dives into the American psyche of competition and anxiety as she recounts the two most harrowing years of her life. She fights to hold on to her identity as a good parent and to interrogate what this even means in the first place. In this part of today's show, we're going to be speaking with Kim Brooks about fear, where it comes from, why we have so much of it, and most importantly, what it is that we can do to overcome some of it, and while maintaining a sense of what's reasonable and wanting to report things if a child is truly in danger. But there's something in between completely ignoring things and going overboard. I'm Armin Brat. We'll start talking about parenting in the age of fear when positive parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. After this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Your kids are going for a bike ride, you make sure they wear a helmet. They insist on skateboarding, add knee pads and elbow pads too. Swimming in the pool, water wings, goggles, earplugs. If we could pack our kids in bubble wrap, we'd do it. Because we love them and we want to protect them. This is Lisa Edelstein with some very important news. Now there's an easy way to protect your kids three times a day. Choose healthy foods. Research has shown that a vegetarian diet rich in fruits, vegetables, and whole grains can help protect our kids against obesity. It can even help keep them from developing heart disease or cancer when they grow up. My friends at The Cancer Project are just waiting to hear from you so they can send you important information on how to protect your children from the inside out. Just log on to cancerproject.org or call 866-906-WELL. That's 866-906-WELL. This message brought to you by The Cancer Project. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Kim Brooks, who is the author of Small Animals, Parenthood in the Age of Fear. Kim, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the story about you leaving your child in the car uh, that got you started on this whole thing about looking at at fear and how that's taken over parenthood in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, this was about seven years ago at this point, and um, I had run into a store to get one item on a, a cool day in a suburban area, um, and I let my son wait in the car for about five minutes while I ran in to get this item. Um, everything was fine. He was fine. Um, but later I would find out that somebody had recorded me doing this and had called the police. Um, and the police then ultimately um, 
charged me. It was a misdemeanor, and there was a sort of ordeal that 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 took quite a while to play out. Um, the way in which it, it sort of the, the the largest impact it had ultimately on my life was that it made me sort of start questioning how starkly um, our culture around parenthood and safety and parenthood and fear has changed in the course of just a generation or two. Um, you know, I, I started, couldn't help but wondering why something that I remember doing all the time as a child, waiting in a car for a couple minutes, was now seen, you know, not just as unsafe, but also, you know, criminally negligent. And I started looking at other aspects of parenthood and childhood freedom, children walking to school, having unsupervised time, um, being in public spaces, um, in groups, together, things like that, and just kind of looking at these changes with a kind of a, uh, through the lens of a cultural criticism. And what did you come up with? I mean, did you, did you figure out what exactly went wrong somewhere along the line? Because I, I wonder a lot of these things to myself, and there, there are other people who talk about this stuff. I mean, there's uh, Lenore Skenazi who talks about free-range parenting, and uh, she and I talked about it. I mean, I, I remember just being able to take the bus all over Oakland, California, when I was a kid, when I was seven and eight years old, and thinking if I put my kid on the city bus at age seven, uh, the kid would come back in a police car and I'd be taken away. Um, I mean, you know, and, and as you said, you know, riding your bike to school, can you do that anymore? And it, it's, uh, and I'm not convinced that the world is actually statistically, measurably a, a more dangerous place than it was. Yeah, I mean, in fact, it's actually statistically safer in those ways for kids. And uh, Lenore Skenazy, who I admire greatly, is a friend of mine, talks and writes about this all the time. Um, has a lot of statistics on her website, but I was just reading one. I'm, you know, in, in terms of things like violent crime, murder, um, basically all violent crime, mugging. Um, it, it's it's safer now. It's as safe as it was. You'd have to go back in time to 1963 to get to a point where crime levels were this low. Um, and so, right, I know the knee-jerk sort of response that people have, well, like, oh, well, the world we're living in now isn't what it used to be. It's always sort of strange because the fact is it's not. It's actually a safer time, you know, to be a child. Um, but it doesn't feel safer to us um, and to parents and to bystanders. And I think that that's sort of just because the culture has changed and, you know, these these kinds of behaviors, like what what we think is safe, what feels safe, um, are largely socially determined. Um, well, it's also you know, we, I think we, when yeah, when you were a kid, when I was a kid, people didn't have cameras in their pockets, and so somebody might have walked by a car and tisk tisked and said, oh, "Parents shouldn't leave their kids in cars," and then that was the end of it. But now you take a picture and you can send it to the police with one click, and uh, I don't know, it's. So, but you're, I'm, I'm not calling you on a, on a prison phone, so you obviously got, uh, got off of this thing. What, what happened? Well, it's, it's a kind of a very long story. You know, I, I go into it in a lot of detail in the book. I mean, ultimately, you know, I, I, the charges were dropped, and, you know, I didn't, nothing horrible happened. I didn't lose my children. I mean, it was, it was an ordeal. 
But the most significant thing that happened in the long term for me was that when I began writing about it and talking about it, um, other people, a lot of mothers, started coming forward and reaching out to me and saying something similar had happened to them, that they had been um, arrested or, or attacked or shamed in some way for doing what they felt was a completely rational, uh, reasonable parenting decision. Um, and I realized that it wasn't just something that had happened to me, that this was something that was happening to us as a culture. Um, you know, sort of rights and power being taken away by, by taken away from parents, from mothers, from dads, and sort of given over to um you know, I don't even know who exactly because well, it's, it's not mob it's rule as simple as yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not as simple as saying it's just about the government or the police because it's not you know the government who's calling the, the police on people. It's sort of it's just sort of other people. It's sort of this social shift. You know, th- this is related and somewhat, but it just what popped into my mind the other day. I was it was a very hot day here in in, in California. And I was out getting groceries with my daughter, who's 16, and there's a Tesla parked next to us as we go into this grocery store. And the windows are rolled all the way up, and there's a dog inside, and it's really hot. Mm-hmm. And I, I was looking at that thinking, huh. And then I saw on the screen on, on the Tesla, you could see in, in big letters, it said something like, we're in dog mode, and the air conditioning is on, and <laughs> thinking... That mm-hmm. I mean, it's not an advertisement for Tesla. I thought that was a very smart thing to do, but mm-hmm. I think wonder whether you would actually would you put your leave your kid in a car with the windows rolled up in child mode if they had the air conditioning on. Um, but it's you know we we've technology has kind of gotten into this, gotten us into this, and I wonder if it can help us get out in some way. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's definitely a safety issue with cars, you know, and I don't like to gloss over that because there are a certain number of children who are forgotten in, in hot cars yes. and the parents don't, re- don't realize the child in the car. These are usually not bad parents or criminals. These are people who, who just have a momentary brain lapse and they forget that the baby's in the car, and these are awful tragedies. And cars can heat up uh, very quickly, you know, on a warm day. So, but to me, that's a, it's really a completely separate issue um, from what from what I'm talking about, which mm-hmm. is I didn't forget that my child was in the car. Thank God. Right. I didn't leave. I didn't leave my child in a hot car. I left my kid in a cool, well ventilated car in front of a store for five minutes while I got one item. And you know, the problem is that. It's not just about cars. It's about the fact that when we now, when when many people see a child who does not have direct adult supervision, no matter what the context is, we immediately assume that that's an emergency, that that child is in some kind of terrible danger. And that, to me, is what has really changed. Um, and so and it goes beyond cars because... You know, a, a woman in a suburb of Chicago who I've gotten to know had a neighbor called the police because she was letting her nine-year-old walk the family dog around their condominium complex in a like very safe suburb. I mean, I, there have been parents who have um, gotten in trouble for letting their children play in the park 
you know, two blocks away. So it's not just about cars. Obviously, if you see a baby in a in a hot parking lot of a business, you know, of a place where it doesn't look like there's a parent might be coming back, you know, that that's a different issue. But to me, the sort of larger issue is this issue of are children really in terrible danger in any situation that they're not being watched or supervised? And if so, why is that the case now when it never has been before? talking with Kim Brooks, who's the author of Small Animals, Parenthood in the Age of Fear. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to keep talking to Kim and find out exactly what's driving this this culture of fear that we're in and uh, starting the conversation that we're having now, but continuing it, what, what, what can we do? Is there something we can do? How do we change this? Because it just doesn't seem to be in a healthy place and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. I'm Armin Brott, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. You must be your fairy godmother. It doesn't take a fairy godmother to tell you that the right fit means everything. Good heavens, child. You can't go in that. Children under 4 foot 9 need to be in a booster seat because they aren't ready for adult safety belts alone. Many parents miss the important step of booster seats. Maybe you better explain things to him. Booster seats raise your child up so that a safety belt designed for adults will fit and protect them properly. Oh, that does make a difference. Remember that 4 foot 9 is the magic number and get your little pumpkin there safely (laughs) in a booster seat. Hop in, my dear. Oh, thank you. And like Cinderella, you can live happily ever after. It's like a dream. A wonderful dream come true. For more information, visit BoosterSeat.gov. This has been a message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called hands-only CPR, and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with Kim Brooks, who's the author of Small Animals, Parenthood in the Age of Fear. So let's let's talk about how to talk about this in a way that we can do something. Because I, I, I agree with you that I think that there's, you know, I, I'm glad to hear you say that you're you're not discounting in any way the, the potential dangers of leaving the child in the car. But there has to be some sense of reasonableness and how do we how do we do that? I mean, people are going to draw lines in different places, uh, right? So there there's going to be somebody who's going to see something that is a perfectly normal, healthy, safe situation, and find it outrageous. And there are people who will look at a potentially dangerous situation and see see that it's perfectly fine. Is there a way of stepping back? 
Yeah, I mean, well, would I, because this is a question that comes up a lot when I do uh, readings and events, is people will say, like, well, what if I see something and I'm and I'm not sure, right? I'm not sure if the child, if the kid is in danger or, or needs help, and I don't want to destroy a family or get someone in trouble. At the same time, I don't want to just walk away and mind my own business and then, you know, think that maybe something bad happened to that child. And, and I mean, that's completely an understandable dilemma. And so what I always say is just that we need to sort of slow down in these kinds of situations and not, uh, not react as if everything is an emergency, right, unless it is an emergency. And, and to sort of use our critical faculties to say, you know, is does this child and this is whether it's in a parking lot or a park or or you know a kid walking along the sidewalk does this child seem like they're in distress are this child in some imminent danger you know are they about to run into a street you know um and obviously if there's imminent danger if there's some imminent threat then you intervene as though that's an emergency but if there's not you know if the child seems content seems fine um, there's not some obvious danger. I think we need to start asking ourselves as a culture, like, why do we assume that that's an emergency? You were talking about growing up riding the bus by yourself, and I hear stories like this all the time. I mean, I grew up walking to school uh, in the 80s, you know, mile and a half. Um, my my dad remembers my dad remembers his mother sending him out to buy him cigarettes when he was, you know, eight or nine. I'm not advocating that. But, you know, for, for many generations, children, children, you know, did things on their own. They went places on their own. They played with each other on their own, meaning without, you know, adults interfering in any way. And it wasn't seen as unusual and it wasn't seen as, you know, any more dangerous than just sort of being alive. So, you know, we need to ask ourselves, why Why are we making that assumption um, that that children are so sort of fragile and incompetent that the second we take our eyes off of them, you know, they're going to burst into flames? And have you come up with something? Because I think that that's such a reasonable question, and there's so much gray area in there that it's hard, I think, to come up with a, a template or a rubric that makes sense where you can say, okay, so this is one thing and that's something else. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard question, and I, I like, like many of these questions about social change. I don't think there's, like, one, there's one single answer. I think there's a number of factors that have kind of uh, influenced it. But, I mean, a couple things that I, that I think a lot about are, you know, one is that we we've sort of I think we've shifted to to become um, in in terms of who we see as being responsible for children. In a lot of ways, we're sort of a low birth rate society, right? So, so compa- contrasting that to like the post-war years, the 50s and 60s, when there were so many children at high birth rate, and you saw children everywhere. And I think there was more of a sense of community responsibility for children. So, you know, people who are who are older than me, my parents' age, who talk about doing things like taking buses, you know, to visit grandparents on their own, one thing they'll say a lot is things like, you know, my parents would say, if I, if I got in trouble or needed help, just ask an adult. 
asking another adult. Mm. Yeah. Whereas now we tell kids never talk to a stranger, you know. So there's this, I think, a, a larger shift towards suspiciousness, a lack of trust, you know, this idea that um, the only a child's parents are the only people who are in any way can help that child or be responsible in any way, which is not the way it's been for most of humanity. You know, um, I, I was talking to just a, a woman I ran into um, at, at my hair salon, actually, the other day, who was talking about, you know, how she wouldn't leave her, her 12-year-old at a birthday party, even when they said it was a drop-off party, because hmm. she felt like, you know, she'd be shirking her responsibility as the as the child's mother. And I just thought, I mean, I didn't say anything because I was just getting my hair done. But I just thought <laughs> to myself, like, what what kind of a society are we if, you know, you can't even just trust, you know, that you can drop your kid at a friend's birthday party for two yeah. hours and, you know, and it's fine because you would do the same for other parents. I mean, it's just... It's, be, it's shifted to this idea of, like, our children are our private property or something. And so I think that that's a, a big part of it. Well, how do we change this, though? I mean, I, 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 that's the most frustrating part. I think it's a, it's a fascinating, interesting discussion to have about how life has changed and, and how frustrating it is to, to be caught in a situation like you were caught in where you're doing something that your parents did and was— was not unreasonable and was not negligent. It was deliberate. But, I mean, is there something that you think can really be done? Is there education that can be done? Is there, I mean, do, do we need to have, I don't know, a, a government public service announcement saying that, I, I don't know, because it seems like they're it, it, just leaving it up to people to say, well, get, let's get back to the way that it was in the, in, in the 60s and 70s. I don't know. Right. And, and I, I, will, I, I do think there are things that we can do. And I also do just want to say I agree that, you know, we don't want to just romanticize the past, right, because we want to go forward. There were things that were much worse for, ch for children, for some children then. I think that the things that we can do are, first of all, I think states need to, more states need to adopt, I guess, what are called free-range child laws. And Utah is an example of that's done this. Um, also, Ithaca, New York, has declared itself a free-range community. And what, what this sort of means is that in that place, parents, it's, it's a law protecting parents, who want to give their children a reasonable reasonable amount of independence and saying they can't be, people can still judge them. You know, you can't make a law against that, and people can <laughs> express concern, but you can't criminally charge a parent for, for making kind of a reasonable choice when their child is not in danger. Um, so I think that's important. But the second and I think equally important piece is shifting the culture so that it, it stops seeming so unusual to see children on their own. And, and that, I think, has to be more of a communal effort. So Lenore Skenazy has now founded something called uh, the Let Grow Movement. Um, and, you know, they ha you can look at them at letgrow.org. And they work with parents, with, with neighborhoods, and with schools to sort of 
different projects that reintegrate free play and independent time into children's lives. Because what she sort of figured out is that it's very hard for a parent to do this on their own. You know, I can say, sure, I can tell my kids, sure, go out and play, you know, on the sidewalk. But if there's no other kids out there, they don't want to play out there. They're going to mm-hmm. come back inside, right? right? It's right. not. It's not interesting. Also, if they're if they're the only kid on the street, then it does become more dangerous because there's safety in numbers, right? I think you know that that that's really the best hope is sort of parents who are concerned about these trends and the impact they have on parents' lives and also on kids' lives, kind of getting together and as groups saying. We want to do things to sort of resist this culture of yeah. fear. Kim Brooks is the author of Small Animals, Parenthood in the Age of Fear. Kim, thanks so much for joining us. It was very, very thought-provoking, and I hope people will spend some time thinking about this stuff. Thanks. Thank you. Careful at the party, hon. Remember what we talked about? I know, Mom. No alcohol, right? Yeah, I know. Honey, seriously, I know you're in high school now, but you're still too young to drink, and you're still my daughter. I don't want anything happening to you. I know. I know. Really? Drinking is different with kids. You're still growing. You're still developing. It messes with your judgment. I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. And you could do things that, honey, trust me, if you drink, you could do things you don't really want to do that I don't want you to do. Yeah, Mom. I know. Listen, I'm just trying to protect you, all right? If you're a grown woman, it's different, but you're not. I know, okay? I know. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Braun, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. Our world is filled with a nearly endless number of creatures in a dazzling variety of colors, shapes, and sizes. It's no wonder, then, that humans are mesmerized by animals. This week, we bring you a number of games that feature animals. Some you'll be familiar with, others you'll learn about for the first time. Aquadiver from Play Monsters. Summer may be technically over, almost, but it's still plenty hot in many places, and that means more time by and in the pool. For kids and competitive adults who love to hunt and chase after submerged objects, this fun, squid-shaped toy adds a delightful element of competition. Toss Aqua Diver into the pool, and the timer starts the second it hits the water. Then dive in and try to catch it. Hit the button to stop the timer, and it's the next diver's turn to beat your time. Batteries are included. Ages 5 and up, about fourteen ninety-five. Find out more at playmonster.com. Jungle Bingo from Lawrence King. Who needs numbers when you can play bingo with Amazon river dolphins, fearsome leopards, pygmy kingfishers, three-banded armadillos, poisonous moth caterpillars, and many more fascinating and beautiful jungle creatures? Comes with a game board, eight double-sided cards, 48 jungle tokens, and plenty of counters to mark your board. Need more animals? You can check out Monkey Bingo, Cat Bingo, and Ocean Bingo. They're all for ages 3 and up, cost under 20 bucks. Find out more at lawrenceking.com. Spot the Bot from Lawrence King. There are four six-sided dice, one each with robot antennae, 
heads, bodies, and legs. Roll the dice and try to find the robot you rolled on the game board. First to make the connection gets a token. Most tokens wins. It's for two or more players ages six and up. Costs about $21. You can get more at lawrenceking.com. Puzzle to Go, Animals of the World from Mud Puppy. This 36-piece puzzle features charmingly illustrated exotic animals from around the world, including a penguin, tiger, toucan, koala, flamingo, quail, and many more. Fully assembled, the puzzle is 12 inches by 9 inches and fits perfectly on an airplane tray table. When playtime is over, drop the pieces into the drawstring bag and you're done. It's for ages 3 and up. Find out more at mudpuppy.com. Road Trip Bingo from Mud Puppy. Okay, this game may not seem like it fits our animal category, but the manufacturer's name is Mud Puppy, and the illustration on the box is of dogs driving a car. Plus, there are a few animals, a dog, a cow, and a bird, on the bingo cards. The rest of the objects on the card include police cars, toll booths, stop signs, airplanes, tow trucks, churches, cement mixers, taxis, construction cones, motorcycles, and a lot of other things you're likely to see on a road trip. Be the first to spot an item, shot it out, then mark it on your board using the included dry eraser pens. If you aren't the first to shout it out, you don't get to mark the item. First to get five in a row wins the round. It's for ages five and up, costs $12.99, and you can get more info at mudpuppy.com. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.